It's Friday, you know what time it is. It's FRPC Hoops. It's your boy Vince. He's on the air with you. And today, we are going to have a conversation about Draymond Green. Um, it seems like it's a long time coming, but now we're here. And because of the antics and um, the frequency of these antics that have have transpired of late um, going back to the Jordan pool punch obviously um, the Golden State the franchise did not want Draymond Green to miss ring night so he only missed like one preseason game um, the stomp to Sabonis that was unwarranted the choke to go bare. And now the punch to Nurkic. And here we are. He's suspended indefinitely. Um, from what I'm gathering, there seems to be some counseling involved. Some anger management involved. Um, someone close to the Organization said there might be some kind of other issue. But we hope that he gets the help that he needs and comes back. But what a great friend Steph Curry is for Draymond Green. You think about it. 2016, Draymond, knowing that he is one foul, one flagrant foul away from being suspended commits the act on LeBron he gets suspended it changes the series Cleveland wins that that series now it ushers in Kevin Durant championships are won things prevail cooler heads prevail but then Draymond somehow alienates Kevin Durant, who we all know, especially at that time, is the greatest offensive weapon we've ever seen. And now, there's a lot to that story where Durant was out no matter what, or this pushed him over the edge. But it didn't help. So he ends that. Then they go through the injuries. They find their way back to the finals. And Draymond is absolutely brilliant. All the defensive headiness that you could ever want. All the passion. All the desire. All the heads up offensive playmaking ability. And they win a championship. Now. At that time, you can see the skills starting to erode. He's not as impactful. Well, I wouldn't say he's not as impactful. He's impactful in a different way. He's not as athletic as he used to be or whatever. So we're entering a different phase of Draymond, and then there were questions about whether they were going to sign Draymond long term. Well, 
if you knew Steph Curry, you knew that Draymond was going to be signed long term. Because Steph rides with Draymond. But now with this, we might be coming to an impasse that we can't get beyond. Golden State looked woefully unprepared against the uh, Clippers last night. Harden had one of his best games. We're going to get to that later. But you can see a team that was clearly outmatched. You can see a, a team that was clearly too small. So even if Draymond came back, this team is woefully unprepared, just unprepared to deal with the size and the and the skill level that is in the West. So I know per sources that the Golden State Warriors will be giving uh, Steph Curry um, some choices. And one of those choices are, you know, can we trade Draymond? The other choice is, can you vouch for him and can you wrangle him in and get him to buy into what we're doing? And then the third choice is, hey, if you don't do anything and we don't get to trade him, then we're not going to invest more in this team this year. And then that's a scary proposition for the Warriors because that's your franchise guy. And Steph wants to be like a Kobe and stay with one organization his entire tenure. But do not push Steph to a point where the pastures are greener because you might not like when Steph finally opens up his mouth and says, I'm cool. My legacy is set in Golden State and I would like to move on. Because if you thought the Dame situation was terrible, the Steph situation will be 30 times worse. See what I did there? Steph's number 30. Got it, right? But to say this, and to wrap it up, Draymond needs to understand what kind of friend he has in Steph who got him that four-year deal with the player option at the end. Steph went to bat for him. Because remember, Bob Myers is no longer there. Kurt Lakeup runs that organization and Mike Dunleavy Jr. is a mouthpiece. Make no mistake about the hierarchy of what's going on at Golden State. And remember when it all went down in 2016, ownership, which if you know the name Lakeup, Kurt Lakeup is Joe Lakeup's son. Ownership was tired of Draymond then. The buffer was Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, and Steph Curry. Now, the buffer is Steph Curry. Because I think, quite as kept, Kerr has seen this. He played with Rasheed Wallace. He played with Dennis Rodman. He's seen this type of player and this type of player archetype. 
and it doesn't end well. It doesn't. Because once the physical skills start to erode and you have to use more mind or intimidation to to win your battle and the younger guy, the younger lion is looking at you going like, I'm not scared of you, old man. It started to happen to LeBron like two years ago. I started to see people test him. Now, albeit he was injured, you know, and he had less of a team, but people started to test him. People are testing him now. It's not going great, but people are testing him now. Same thing for Draymond. Because remember, at the end of the day, Draymond is six foot five, 240 pounds. Now, in today's NBA, that's still pretty big. Oh, hold on. We got the Minnesota Timberwolves who have Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns who are combined 14 feet and average weight is about 275 pounds. Okay. Oh, we got the Lakers, Anthony Davis with LeBron James, who are 6'11 and 6'8 or 6'9 respectively. LeBron is 260 and AD is now like 255. Okay. And more athletic than you. Oh, and then we got Nikola Jokic, who's just 6'11", 285, fluctuates to 300 pounds. Absolute witch with the basketball. And your antics to Nikola Jokic are comedy because he doesn't care. So they're stuck in a West that is absolutely huge. And I didn't even talk about OKC. I didn't even talk about the speed variant of Sacramento. I didn't talk about any of these things. But Golden State wants to stay relevant in this West. I wonder what kind of friend Steph Curry is about to be. I'm not going to even hold you it's Saturday, and the reason why we're recording this part on Saturday is because some things happened in the NBA last night that I want to uh, check up on, and then we'll get to the rest of the pod that we were going to do. So my apologies, pod is late. It's late because some big things went down. First and foremost, we need to talk about the Knicks point guard, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson had an incredible game last night. Um, he put up a 50-burger on the Phoenix Suns. Uh, he shot 17-23 of 23 from the field. He also shot 9 from 9 from 3. He had 5 steals in the game. He had 9 assists with 6 rebounds. And Brunson did not miss a shot in the second half. Absolutely unconscious. We need to give this brother his flowers for that 50-burger that he put on Phoenix. Um, 
a real unfortunate thing happened in that game. And, uh, you know, we made light of Riley Bill and his unavailability or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it was such an ugly uh, twisting of the ankle. Um, right now, they're categorizing it as a sprained ankle. No, for real. Like, nobody saw that. We all saw it. Um the thing with that is, is that, you know, nobody wants to see it, especially like that. And he was just coming back. I mean, four minutes into his second game. And that's where we are. So now we're in a situation where, um, you know, we have no idea. So we're still not going to see the Bradley Beal Kevin Durant and uh, Devin Booker line up for quite some time for a while. So um, we wanted to get to that part of it. And then a couple other things happened last night. One, the San Antonio Spurs and the Washington Wizards, they snapped their losing streaks. San Antonio beat the Lakers 129-115. Devin Vassell was a monster in this game. 36 points on 12 of 19 shooting from the field. He also shot 50% from 3, 5 of 10. Wimby chipped in with 13 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists. And that's now to 18-game losing streak for the San Antonio Spurs. Hashtag Pura Vida. Um, you know, the thing that is happening there. I know a lot of people were really like uh worried about the losing streak and worried about how it was going to affect uh Victor Wimbayama. I understand that. But I also understand that you know this is a process this year. And yeah, would it be great if they had like this uh point guard that could get Wimbayama the basketball? Yes. But I really still want to see what he is still able to do and have the freedom to be able to do it. And I understand that sometimes that's going to come with warts. But it's all the process in San Antonio. But great to see them get off the snide as of last night. We also have a win in the district. 137-123, the Wizards beat the Pacers last night. Jordan Poole, an efficient 30 points. He had 30 points on 18 shots. He was 12 of 18 from the field. Um, he was 3 of 4 from 3. And he had 8 assists. Kuzma also checked in with 31 points. 5 rebounds, 4 assists. And he was 4 Four nine from three. Both teams are a have a record of four and twenty. Now Detroit has continued their losing streak. It is past twenty games now, and it is ugly. But at least these two teams got off the snide, and we wait for some semblance of life in Detroit at this present time. Now, let's uh, get to some of the other things that I was going to talk about uh, yesterday. Again, again, my apologies, but those games came, and uh, we needed to check those out, and I think it became a 
for a more robust podcast. But um, a couple things that I want to talk about. We were going to talk about the Clippers. We're going to get to that. But before we talk about the Clippers, I want to um, talk about the Chicago Bulls. And I'm going to ask a question. It's going to sound very, you know, sports radio or, um, you know, first take or whatever the case may be. But I will ask this question. Are the Bulls better without Levine? Now, I think let's throw some context into that because a lot of people want to go, oh, well, you're crazy or, or um, you know, he's sick. He scores 29 points a game and all that. Those things are all true. What I'm talking about is the guy who left before the injury, who seemed very disinterested to be there. Okay? That's the guy I'm talking about. This team seems to play with a, a vigor and an excitement that was not there when Levine was there. Let's be honest about that. A couple other things that have come about. The emergence of Kobe White. He's shooting 42.8 from three-point land on seven seven and a half attempts um, since this whole situation. Um, it's one game, but Tasumu played with confidence, and he played with a lot of freedom. I really like what he was doing. And it also seems like the, the pecking order is being re- reshuffled, and it seems like everybody is more comfortable in their role. Um. When when Levine was playing and he wasn't involved in the play, he seemed just really disinterested. We talked about it just a second ago. There seems to be a better recognition for Vucevic, meaning finding him more in spots where he can be more effective. Now, here are a couple things that you kind of need to know. <clears throat> per Yahoo, Jake Fisher, the Bulls pitched a pitch to the Cavaliers on a swap of Levine and Garland. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't think there's any validity. Not saying that Jeff Fisher's recording is wrong. What I'm saying is I don't think those talks went uh, too far. Honestly, to tell you the truth. Um, and if you hear a humming in the background, that's our neighbor getting his car clean. So, I do apologize about that. Um... They are 5-2 and two since Levine's foot injury. And now, you know, now the, the notebooks are starting to open up. Since we got to December 15th, we're going to see some notebooks opened up. We're going to talk about some guys who are um, possibly, maybe, on the move. But I still don't think anything will happen until, you know, end of January, start of February. But um, I do have some thoughts on that, too. So we'll get to those as well. But per the Chicago Tribune's Julia Poe, she reports that several teams are checking in on DeMar DeRozan. Uh, DeRozan's comments were this. um, His main focus is ahead of him. Me being in the league so long, I understand this period of time. It just comes with the occupation. And he says he really doesn't pay any mind. So, he doesn't seem like too riled up about the trade rumors or whatever. Now, I will say this. There was something that was reported, I think, a couple days ago that Levine had asked to be traded 
and he wanted to be traded to the Lakers. Um, there's a reluctance on the Lakers' side at this point in time. They want to see what they have. They still have not used Gabe Vincent really at all this year. Um, they're just getting pretty much everybody back. Torian Prince, Torian Prince is playing at, at a pretty good level. Um, they just got uh, Jared Vanderbilt back. Ruri just came back like a week and a half ago. So they still do not know what they have internally. So they're still looking at that at this present time. So I don't know where Levine thinks he's going if he thinks he's going to the Lakers. Um, if there was some sort of uh, pivot, it would have to be... I wouldn't say injury, but there would have to be some something critical going on with the Lakers for them to pounce on Levine because that's a heavy, heavy commitment financially, one. And two, you know, does he fit your team? You know, that's been my big question, and everybody keeps saying, oh, that's, you're crazy. It's almost a 30-point-a-game scorer, but it not necessarily fits your team just to add more scoring. Um. We'll see how the whole Phoenix uh, experiment works out. Now, I did say that I wanted to talk about the Clippers. And uh, I was harsh on the trade. I was harsh on Harden. Um, You got to give credit where credit is due. They're playing well. Right now, Harden is settled in to more of a facilitator role. He seems to be quite comfortable there. He had 15 uh, assists the last game he played. Um, he's had, out of the last five games that he's played, in four of them, he's had seven-plus free-throw attempts. And that's more like the James Harden we know, right? Um, he's also, in the last five games, 12 with 25 from three. And it just seems like there's a there's a confidence level in him. But I think also the reemergence of one Kawhi Leonard has also helped because his numbers are also nutty in the last five as well. So let's get to those. Okay, Kawhi is averaging 30 points a game in in the last five. Uh, He's also averaging uh, seven plus free throw attempts in the last four out of five games. Um, Right now, the, the hierarchy is working. And maybe... We're at those crossroads where legacy and ego meet and guys are willing to be more of a giver to the common whole. Or we can see three guys in a couple months doing my turn, your turn. It really is up to them. It's really going to be how successful the Clippers are will be up to can the guys, and I'm talking about Paul George, I'm talking about Kawhi Leonard, I'm talking about James Harden. Can they collectively come together and say, hey, listen, I'm with, you know, like tonight, I'm a little off. Go ahead, James. You go ahead, eat a little bit more. Um, Paul George trying to find his role. These things are going to be critical to whatever success the Clippers have. But so far, so good. Can't complain right now. They're playing well. Um, Let's get back. Oh, the other thing, currently the Clippers are 14 and 10. Back to the Bay.
in the opening, I talked about Draymond, and I talked about what he means to the team and what he's doing to the team right now. The questions in San Francisco should be, how can we better serve these extended prime years of Steph Curry? This should be the only question that Kirk Lakeup and Mike Dunleavy Jr. should be asking themselves at this present time. Um, and does Draymond now fit Steph's championship aspirations? That's another question that you have to ask yourself at this present time. I will say that I don't know what some of the meetings held, what it came, you know, what it all came to do. Again, I just say to Draymond, you have a really good friend in Steph Curry. <clears throat> oh, here's the part where I want to get to. We're going to tie all the trade stuff. We got some other couple more trade things into a bow. But when it comes to Chicago, here's the thing that I do want to say. If you look at the East and you look at some of the records and what have you, now this was, I wrote this as of Friday night. We are in Saturday, so it might not be indicative of the records um, from last night. But there's a real question on who is going to jump out first. And what I mean by that is that you got the Hawks, you got the Raptors, and you got the Bulls. Someone is going to pull the plug first. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know when it's going to be. Um, now, I personally have a belief that you strike early. So then now if you're going to add a piece into your team, now you have more time to assimilate that person into their role, you know, where they like the ball, etc., etc. But I will tell you this: the Raptors are ten and fourteen, Hawks are uh, nine and fourteen. I believe they won last night, and the Bulls are ten and sixteen. Someone has to pull the plug. We just talked about the Chicago Bulls and what they're going through. The Hawks haven't looked great. Um. In the previous pod, I think I talked about the Hawks. And regardless to what it is, actually, no, we're going to talk about them right now. The DeJounte Murray, Trey Young experiment has not worked. And something fundamentally needs to change. Trey's field goal percentage has dipped to 41.6. His effective field goal percentage is down to 49.3. Now, in Trey's best season, okay, we had a 46% field goal percentage with a effective field goal percentage of 53.6. Now, Nico believes that the offense just stalls when Murray is at the controls of the offense. Now, I have to agree with that. Now, also, let's talk about this. This team, the Hawks, have not been the same since Jalen Johnson, the second-year player out of Duke, um, his uh Got hurt. He uh, He's missing several games with a wrist injury. Still, with or without Jalen Johnson, 
that backcourt needs to be broken up and somebody needs to make a decision on who needs to stay and who needs to go. Now, we spoke about Toronto in the in the previous pod. Um, so what I'll say to that, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you are, you know, getting your clips on YouTube, tap in with us and, and get these archive pods. Because we just talked about Toronto. We talked about their uh, the trades. We talked about who's available, who might not be available, and some of the teams that they were um, that were poking around. I just want to let everybody know that also you need to tap in with us on X. My handle is at front runner PC, and then Nico is at at Nico FRPC. We also have a YouTube channel, and that YouTube channel is Front Runner Podcast Collective. Go check out the clips there. We're going to have a lot more on so from this show as well. But uh, we try to, you know, we try to make it good for the masses. So what we want you to do is we want you to tell your friends. We want you to tell your mates. We want you to tell your coworkers. We want you to tell your grocery store clerks. We want you to tell your, your cleaner. We want you to tell your clergy. And we also want you to tell that telemarketer that calls you at approximately 3.15 every afternoon. So tell everybody you know, Front Runner Podcast Collective, download the pods, get the pods, also go on the YouTube page and build a community. That's what we're trying to do. It's a grassroots situation. You know, right now I'm able to comment on things, but we want you guys to build your own community of hoop heads. We want you to build your own community of thoughts and, and, and what have you when it comes to the NBA and to the draft and to the front offices and things of that nature. We got some more exciting things to come. So you guys bear with us, but we are getting to those two pods a week, as we talked about. Um, The other thing that we need to get to is this... There was a, okay, I want to, I want to tell you about it and then I want to say something about it. <clears throat> per Mark Stein on his Substack says that Lori Marketing, according to Stein, Utah, <clears throat> has moved off the untouchable uh, status of Lori Marketing. Now, I honestly think that Lori Marketing might be the low-key move-the-needle trade guy. And if this is true, man, I don't know what it will take to get him. I'm, I'm thinking that Danny Ainge, you know, <laughs> Danny is, uh, is looking for another bonanza in that situation. You know, he got seven picks from Minnesota, right? He got some picks from uh, Atlanta. So he's doing well in the pick department. And I'm sure he's looking to stockpile picks. Nico had an interesting thought on, on pick stockpiling. He said, you know, OKC's model 
of getting like your guy and then in a sense drafting the other guy and then just as your guys or you start to see certain guys not fit trade them for more picks that was his thought just continue to t- continue to take bites out of the apple so you have a guy that's attractive on your team you know um for instance, let's go. I'm trying to think of somebody who's young, might need a fresh start. Da, 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 da. Um, it'll come to me in a second. I hope, I hope, I hope. Okay, let's say, like, okay, we were just talking about Atlanta real quick, right? So you got several pieces. You have now Aneka Kongu that you're trying to work in. You have Jalen Johnson, you know, you have, um, you still have DeAndre Hunter, you have AJ Griffin, so on and so forth. So I know now that the Atlanta Hawks are, are draft pick poor, right? Because they gave up a lot to get DeJounte Murray. But let's say they were in a position where DeJounte Murray was on that team, right? You just want to get, and they had all their picks. Now, you started to see that DeJounte Murray and Trey weren't working out, and you could trade one of those guys and get, like, three first-rounders back, and then you have another guy in, like, Clint Capella who could probably get you a first-rounder in a couple seconds or maybe a protected first round, second first-rounder. And then you have a guy like DeAndre Hunter, and you kind of got Sadiq Bay as well, and you kind of going, like, which one do we want to keep? Which one do we want to get? you know, get rid of or whatever. This is the type of thing that Nico is talking about. And OKC is set up brilliantly for that. And what I also say is that Memphis low-key is set up for that as well. Memphis has their own picks. You're starting to see that certain guys aren't maybe exactly what you thought they were. And maybe because of where you are this year, maybe you move on from a Luke Kennard, right? Get a pick for him, whatever. You always just want to take a couple more bites out of the apple. You never know. We just talked about Jalen Brunson, right? Jalen Brunson wasn't this, like, lottery pick. You know, Giannis, back end of the lottery. Step, back end of the lottery. Nikola Jokic, second round. This is why we are also going to start focusing in on the draft. But I just wanted to get Nico's points out there because it, it was brilliant. And I wanted to uh, appreciate my guy who's coming back shortly. Now I want to get to a segment that we call the collective draft notes. I've been doing a couple little scouting. I'm, you know, like I said, we're giving you little brushes of it. We're going to have like a top 10 list in January, and that's going to be on the website. Um, so look out for that. And there'll be a, a pod attached to it as well. So look for top 10 dropping in January. Uh, Nico, myself, and a couple others are working on it, collaborating on it. But, um, I wanted to give you a couple guys that I've been looking at 
and just kind of go over them a little bit and go from there. The first guy that we're going to talk about is Kevin McCullough Jr. He's 22 years old. He's a senior out of Kansas. He's six foot seven. He's 214 pounds. Now, what I like about him is he's the ideal size for today's wing, right? Six foot seven, 214 pounds. Here's some of the here's some of the good things. He's an aggressive slasher, so movement without the ball, not a problem whatsoever. He's a solid decision maker on ball. So the thing that you're gonna have with him is that if he becomes a a better corner three shooter, he will also be able to take that ball and initiate a, a secondary offense from that position. You he he can dribble and he can pass. So he's solid at both of those. He has a high defensive IQ, right? He has great hand anticipation, deflections, things of that nature. Uh, He's a menace on the defensive side of the ball if you let him loose. The shooting is the concern, and that's always going to be a concern with these guys. It's like, can the shot become more, um, more efficient? Can you hit it at a higher level? Um, because they're going to leave you wide open. And he's done great strides on this, but we still need to see more because this is a small sample size. So let's get through the whole year and see where we go. But I just wanted to kind of highlight him a little bit because I think what you're going to see in this draft, this draft particular, you're hearing things like this is a bad draft and all this. I'm here to tell you that this is not a bad draft. What it is, it's a less sexy draft. Okay? There's a difference. A less sexy draft, yes, you're going to probably have less players that are going to really make any sort of real impact in the NBA. That's no doubt. The other thing is, is that you're going to have guys that are going to have like lesser roles on teams. This might not be the... You might not get your... Your bat, your Robin to your Batman in this in this draft. You might not get the the third piece to your triumvirate to make you whole, but what you might get is a fifth starter. You might get a rotation piece. You might get a defensive specialist. You might get somebody who can initiate offense. But these are all guys who might be in that like, and no disrespect because you can make a lot of money being the sixth to eighth guy in a rotation. But I think we do have a lot of those type of guys. I think they also might need some work. So it might be imperative imperative to get them into the G League, get your system down, whatever. And this might be something that you might not necessarily see the fruits the first year, but I think that there's a lot of guys in this draft that will probably play for, you know, 8 to 12 years. But Kevin Culler is one of them. Another guy that I wanted to kind of tell you about that I really like off the off rip, and then he's kind of slowed down a little bit, is Carlton Carrington. He's the 18-year-old freshman from Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh. The one thing that stands out about him is that he's 6'5", 190. He's great size. He is a terrific playmaker, 
Okay, he has size, high IQ. He gets the ball in and out. Um, he's a versatile shot maker, but the three point shot is is you know it's not where I kind of want it to be. But he's young, and also, you know, I think there's a lot of growth potential there. The other thing is this that I do have a problem with. I need to see more attacks to the rim. So far, he's he's not been using his physicality at 6'5", 190, and his uh, terrific skills to get to the hole. The other thing that has me kind of a little worried at with his frame and his ability to move, the three steals, no blocks, not being able to use your physical traits to impose your will on defense, that's something to monitor as well. Okay? And the last guy I want to talk about, it was kind of a guy who was getting some buzz last year, played at Florida State, then went overseas, is Bowie Clintman. Now, he's a 20-year-old wing. He's 6'8", he's 225, so you know he's going to hit the ground running physicality-wise. Um, he flashes a lot of open court ability with the ball handling. Um, he's a slasher. He can he has nice touch with runners and he finishes. Like if there's a ball that bounces off the rim, tip dunks are his thing. Those are his jam. Jam. Whoa, whoa, jam. Whoa, jam, Teddy jam with me. That's a little music interlude for you. So now, getting back to Kobe Clinton, um, outside shot, it was something that he was working on at Florida State. For some reason, it has, he's completely abandoned it. I don't know why um, that could cause an issue for him. The other thing is, is that I want him to get quicker uh, recognizing where he needs to be when the switches start to come. Um, getting out to his man, you know, in the corners. Those type of things can be cleaned up, but those are the type of things that I'm seeing. So those, that is your collective draft notes. Sponsored by iPhones, you know what I'm saying? I love my iPhone. iPhones are great. You should have one. All right, uh, front runner fantasy. Let's get to it. Nikola Jokic has ten triple doubles this year. Nikola Jokic, in the last seven seasons, has ten triple doubles. So, so seven straight seasons of double digit triple du- triple doubles for our guy Nikola Jokic in Denver. Who is just doing it? Okay, he's doing it. Um, listen, we can argue about MVPs and all that. Now it's too early in the season. We don't need to get to any of that until like you know 35, 40 games into the season. But I just need people to understand what this cat is doing in Denver. He is orchestrating the offense playing center, grabbing 13, 14 rebounds a game. And he is the not just the offensive hub, but when it breaks down, 
That dude is getting buckets. So he carries a heavy load in Denver. And I think sometimes we see the numbers. We see the 28, 15, and 13, and we just go, oh, another great Jokic game, which it is. But let's appreciate this brother. You know, let's, let's appreciate him. I know he doesn't like to do a lot of media, but we still going to shout out our guy, Nikola Jokic. So congratulations to him. He's got the 10 triple doubles this year in his seven straight seasons. Dude is an absolute sorcerer. Okay. And then um, let's get to the Giannis thing. Okay. I'm not going to get into the, the whole beef about the basketball and whatever case may be. Here's the one stat that I found really interesting. Giannis became the first player in NBA history to make 20 field goals. 20 free throws while shooting at least 70% in both. So I'll read that again. Giannis was the first player in NBA history. So 77 years. Think of some of the bigs and the greats of yesteryear, right? Like Will, other people, right? Giannis, first player in NBA history. 20 field goals made. 20 free throws made while shooting 70, at least 70% in both. Congratulations to Giannis getting 64 points, putting buckets on their head, putting buckets on Indiana's head. And then the whole game ball situation was a fiasco, and it seemed like everybody was acting like they were 13 years old, but we don't need to get into all that. All right, man, that's it for the pod. You know, I just want to appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for uh, hanging in there with us. And again, it was one of those situations where yesterday Brunson went off and I was like, whoa, I I need a second to really like think about what just happened. So again, shout out to Jalen Brunson of the New York Knicks. I know that there are blue and orange skies in Gotham today. I know a lot of my New Yorkers out there got their Timberlands in the air. You know what I'm saying? Because Jalen Brunson put a 50 50 dog on Phoenix. All right. You guys have a good rest of your weekend. I will see you back on this feed on Monday. And y'all be cool. Peace. Oh, you ready?